Three, two, one, and we're back, Julie. It is March the 14th. Birthday week is finally over. Indeed. It only, on. took, it only took us uh, five decades to get to birthday week. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Yeah, sorry. I'm no slippage now. Okay. Sorry. I forgot. You are not your real yeah. age. You're now 35. Exactly. Forever. That's okay. fine with me. I'm clear on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Well, when we went to that little impromptu beach gathering last night and I was telling everyone to celebrate Julie's 35th birthday, not a single person looked at you funny. I know. Which, there you go. I'm sticking with it. <laughs> Why not? Exactly. I don't know, I'm not going to go as far as say as age is a state of mind, but you know what? If you're going to have a state of mind, it's probably one to have that you maybe are younger than you genealogically are. Now, that, of course, depends on your actual age. I don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. Well, I remember when you and I got into real estate and we were in our early 20s, mm-hmm. one of the questions we wanted to avoid the most is, how old are you? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, that could be because we both look like we're about 12, but... Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, we always used to say we're in our 20s, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, but, you know, you bring up a good point, and it does come up from time to time, both on, I think it came up once on the clubhouse sessions a week or two ago, and it comes up in Premier Coaching that how many people don't talk about real estate because they live in fear of some kind of little micro-objection, you know, and, and I don't want to make this, a, oh, we didn't do our disclaimer. This is the Sunday show. We talk about whatever we want. Um, but isn't it interesting that sometimes people won't open their mouths because they've got this tiny little thing stuck in their head. Somebody's going to ask me how old I am, or somebody's going to ask me how many homes that I've sold over a certain price range or a certain neighborhood or any of those things, you know? So you just have to work on your scripting and build that confidence. Yeah. It's like the old question, how long have you been in real estate? And you know, the answer is they're not asking you for an exact analytical drill down the exact date you got your real estate license. You know, Julie and I bought our first house. We were still in college, you know, and it's way before we were in real estate. So the question would be, how long were you in real estate? And what we would say when we uh, were first selling real estate, we'd say we bought our first investment property when we were 22 and 23. So or 21 and 22 or whatever age yeah. it was. And yeah. then, then you ask a question. You don't just let it linger. Right. And then you pivot and ask the question. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, we just kind of meandered in that direction. But as you said, well, this is you know, this is Sunday. And on Sunday, we do some meandering. There's no rigid schedule or whatnot. But I'll tell you what I was thinking about right as I was hitting the record button is I was thinking about, I wonder, like you and I don't struggle anymore knowing that the antivirus software that's supposed to be running in your head at all times as a small business owner, because we've been small business owners for all of our lives, um, but we've accepted it as normal, that there is no turning it off. And I see a lot of people that struggle with that. They think that they're somehow supposed to be like a complete shut off of all business thought and then a complete hmm. turn on of, you know, thoughts of your family or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't look it doesn't work like that. I think not just small business owners, but business owners in general. Um, I guarantee you that Elon Musk, when he's, you know, watching rockets launch, is thinking about why he can't get Teslas to truly be autonomous, you know? I yeah. guarantee you all those thoughts are going on simultaneously. simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the same thing that happens with all business owners. So I'm just, I guess I'm only mentioning that because all of you need to realize that it's normal for you to feel almost obsessed about the details in your business pretty much all the time. And if you're not thinking like that, or if you're fighting thinking like that, you're probably not going to succeed because you really do have to be obsessed. Um, and it's not, the, you know, it's not passionate. Passion is, you know, obsession is something that doesn't go away. Passion is something that comes and goes when it guard, when it, you know, for example, I'm passionate about helping people list their homes. Well, I mean, that's going to last for the, you know, the total amount of time it takes for you to get the listing contract signed. And then you're back doing things in real estate that you're probably not that passionate about. 
Well, so don't pursue that feeling of passion. Um, I really like the word obsession because, and again, obsession can go too far and you could become, you know, a little loopy, but even loopy sometimes when you're trying to be successful in business is necessary. Sometimes it's required even. It is. And, and in a market like this where there's so many opportunities, when there's an abundance of things that are pulling you in so many different directions, um, the one thing you've got to be obsessed about more than others, if you want to choose one, is profit. And, and I, again, that's like, it's such a hard thing for people to um, understand, you know, and I, you and I were blessed in that when we got um, into real estate, we had one clear vision. I'm not saying we stuck to it for, you know, 30 years, but we definitely had one clear vision in real estate, which was to have enough paid off rental properties that we could live off our cash flow yeah. from the rental properties, right? Mm-hmm. Now we got, uh, we went in some, you know, we had to have some course directions and corrections sure. along the way, but the reality of it was, is that always stayed true. And by the time mm-hmm. I was 41 and you were 40, we'd accomplish that goal. Um, you know, and that was for Julie, that's going to happen in the next five years. But for me, that was 15 years ago <laughs> or no, not 15. How old am I? That was 11 years, 10 years ago. Yeah. 41, 51. Yeah. I'm 51. 16, but what? Yeah. 41 to 51. Oh, 41. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're thinking, you're with the math. You're thinking, thinking of your new, yeah. you're thinking of your new age. Yeah. Indeed. Right. Yeah. Well, but but how did we do it? We did it largely the same way that we teach you guys. You know, we use a guaranteed home sale. You guys have instant offers you can work with. And we kept, I think for the most part, we kept that North Star of that was the the one very specific goal was that we were, you know, not just living from commission to commission, but it was what we were doing with the commission to then build our rental portfolio. But but let's be honest, though. We, we were brutal with ourselves to accomplish the goal of mm-hmm. having that, um, being able to be rich where your you know money works for you, no longer work for your money. No, I'm going to yeah, use that word. Okay. Don't don't look for a... I was going to say disciplined, but... No, we were brutal. Yeah. We were because what we do is most people would never do. First of all, you know, the dozens of rental properties that we were accumulating, we weren't financing most of them. We yeah, were paying cash for most of them. And hardly anybody would do that. And you could come up with, frankly, a very good argument why you'd want to finance things. But our definition of rich was where our money was working for us. We no longer had to work for money. In order to do that, we had to have a paid-off rental property. And with that paid-off rental property, then we had, you know, we wanted to maximize the return on investment so that we could live off that uh, the cash flow. And if you just look at the uh, prices that were originally paid for our rental properties, we've done incredibly well. If you look out for what they're worth now, we're doing incredibly bad. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. uh, we have rental properties that we bought for you know a hundred grand that are now mm-hmm. worth three hundred grand. So if you look at the rate of return we're getting on the three hundred grand, you know, versus what we paid, then it's like we're the worst investors ever. Yeah, but well, fortunately, we've since diversified. But you yeah, know. oh yeah. But yeah. I think the original point was to to not worry so much about turning your business on and turning your business off. And seeking, like, you know, we've talked before about, you know, not thinking that there's an ultimate balance to life and that you're either in personal or you're in business. You know, I, I think, I mean, you and I come up with some great podcast topics well, on our walks, which are supposed to be personal, right? You're moving away from what I really want, what I'm really trying to convey. Mm-hmm. And, and, and because uh, I want to drill down even more on that word brutal. Okay. Because for us to do what we did with regards to saving up the money to buy those rental properties that we've done consistently for 30 years. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we still have been buying them, really. Yeah. But for us to do that, especially when we were coming up, before we were, you know, decamillionaires on up, mm-hmm. okay? When we were not even millionaires and we were forcing ourselves to save up $100,000 to buy a rental property or something. Yeah. You want to turn that off? It is. I don't know why I did that. That's weird. Yeah. 
There you go. Probably because there's a tsunami coming. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> we got to go to the third floor. Check your dings. Yeah. Well, so uh, that was really hard. And we yeah. had to sacrifice a ton. Well, and- especially, I mean, some of our listeners are so blessed to have the, a huge average sale price. We had to crank out a lot of transactions I, with a lot of discipline. So for us to accomplish the goal of basically we wanted to have $25,000 a month coming in uh, passively from paid-off rental properties, we know we, we knew we had to have around 25 to 30 paid-off rental properties. And that when we started selling real estate, we gave ourselves a certain amount of time to accomplish it. And again, we didn't always stay true to it. But one of the things we would do is we would try to keep ourselves always in contract on something. Um, where we'd be forced to save the money to buy the property. And, and if that, you know, and guys, trust me when I tell you that was not easy. It meant Julie and I, for most of our marriage, had to live far below our means. It means that we didn't go on vacations. It means that when you were on a cruise ship, you know, and whatever, Julie and I were working, taking listings. It means I remember many, many holidays where you and I were taking listings, showing houses, writing contracts because we were staying true to that North Star. Yeah. And that's what I mean by brutal. I have some pretty specific memories. Uh, Let's say I'll just share one little snippet. I don't know if you remember this, but we were having the Christmas Eve party at our house in Linworth. And a neighbor comes down the street and mentioned that perhaps the vacant listing might have some trouble. And in fact, you know, we... We told the sellers to shut off to winterize. They went out of town. There was a cold snap, and the pipes burst, and there was a frozen uh, avalanche out the front door. That was Christmas Eve. That was our listing? listing. Was yeah. our listing? Yeah, and we oh, called man. them, and they're like, well, we thought we winterized it. I'm like, well, I hope your homeowner's insurance is caught up. And they ended up rehabbing it. But, you know, we were working is the point. I remember going on a listing appointment on Easter with you. Um, I, I mean, I remember going on price reductions when, you know, we wanted to be doing something else. But you do what you have to do when you don't want to do it, and you try and do it at the highest level that you can to get the results that you're striving for. Well, so I think to anybody who's trying to accomplish something that's extraordinary in their lives, like if you wanted to get in really, I mean, my kind of sort of halfway serious joke is that I want to basically be able to replace Daniel Craig as the next James oh, Bond. You're going to work on that. <laughs> not that far off. Well, so but, oh, way but, far But off, it takes really. work. I I'd mean, have to put on probably like 15 or 20 pounds of muscle. Yeah, well, but you have one advantage, which is you're the same height. Yeah. And you're roughly the same age. No, he's older than me. I think he is maybe three or four years older. Something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that. But you're close. You yeah. got a good start. Yeah, I have gotten started. Yeah. But see, now yeah. you're already riding my butt about it. Exactly. That's what we do with each <laughs> other, isn't it? <laughs> well, but like in order to do that, you have to discipline yourself to go to the gym twice a day. You're going to have to, mm-hmm. you know, eat the you know, just the whole lifestyle thing of going about, uh, you know, getting in that kind of physical condition is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. But that's what it takes to do something extraordinary. It you have to be, You have to be brutal with yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I actually it was kind of funny. The reason that Daniel Craig didn't want to play James Bond again is his number one reason was he didn't want to have to get in that good physical well, shape again. I can I can totally relate to that. I can you know it's got to be a ton of work. Yeah, it's, it, it basically becomes his job. Right. You know, to and achieve that, it's a ton of work and it's a ton of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And but again, I you know I'm relating this in some loose way to what we did financially, what we did professionally, mm-hmm. and uh, like everything comes. Everything worth having in life comes on the other side of long periods of doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. And that's really like, again, I've just, you know, this Sunday show is all about defragging and preparing for the week. And you and I were creating our to-do lists and we have a lot of things that are, you know, happening in the next 60 days that have hard due dates. And we're managing projects and managing people who are managing projects and we're making slide decks and Lots of presentations and 
outlines and Zoom calls. We're doing a ton of things in Podcasts, EXP world. Facebook Live. <laughs> right. Podcasts, Facebook. Oh, yeah. Don't forget the four books we're working on. Uh, you forgot the clubhouses every oh, yes, morning. Oh, yes. And the clubhouse every morning. <laughs> right? Yeah, so we're, a little, we're yeah. a little busy. So, But that's where it's supposed to be. Now, here's the funny part. And this is the part, frankly, guys, uh, maybe some of you can help Julie and I work through our psychology on this. But we're at the point financially where we don't have to do all of this. But where it's actually becoming the burden of, well, first of all, many of the things we just rattled off are probably 80% enjoyable for us to do. Would you say that's true? Mm -hmm. Most of the time. Let's think about that. 50%. Yeah. 50%. Yeah. But it's not like. It's not like a grind grind. It's not like prospecting. Prospecting was like 10% enjoyable. Yes, I agree with that. So we're moving in the right direction. Which, by the way, people that are not in love with prospecting, that's okay. That's normal. It's supposed to suck. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. It just means you have to accept how it is. Right. It gets you the results the quickest. I mean, that's the reason you want to do it. Yeah. But it's like, uh, but here's the here's the thing that's kind of fascinating. I mean, you know, because I just had a birthday and I'm thinking about this, right? So at what point, so how do I say this? I always have to. I always have to think how what I say on this podcast sounds because I don't want to sound aloof. Right. I don't want to sound like I'm some sort of rich asshole. You don't want to water it down to the point where you're not making the point, though. It's important them for them to know that where we, you know, you and I, many of them the same way, right? Mm -hmm. They're ascending in their own ways, but you and I came from less than nothing, and we've Mm -hmm. gotten to where we are. And and it's important that for me, this is cathartic. That's what the Sunday show is all about. But really. Uh, it's for us to get to where we've gotten, we had to do long periods of time. And this was my reason I talked about rental properties Mm -hmm. of doing what we didn't want to do. And we didn't want to do at the highest level. And I think in my younger brain, I probably thought there was a point when that stopped, but now I realize Mm -hmm. at at 51 and you're 35 again for the 15th time Mm -hmm. (laughs) that, uh, that never stops. I, I would agree with you on that. I remember the first time we sold our 100th house, I kind of thought, like, I didn't really know what I thought, but I thought that that would be like our opening fir- the door for some huge thing. You mean the first time we sold 100 houses in a year, which was our first year? Yeah, but we used to joke that, you know, when you do that, Ed McMahon doesn't just show up on your doorstep and oh, hand yeah. you a giant check. Life goes on, and now you've got to go do 101, 102, well, you know, but also, different milestones. The other funny thing was, is I remember when we were uh, kids, we always thought, well, when we're making a lot of money, we heard that rich people don't pay taxes, right? Right. All that bullshit. Yeah. And I remember our first year in business when we earned, <laughs> when we were in our early 20s, basically, we earned over, you know, it was $300,000. Mm-hmm. And that was more money than certainly, I mean, your parents were school teachers. And yeah. I think the most my dad ever earned from one of his businesses was like 10th of that, truthfully, mm-hmm. you know, less than 40 grand sure. a year. But I remember thinking, well, okay, now that we're rich or now that we're right. making a lot of money, there's some sort of secret handshake where, you know, you said Ed McMahon or whatever, that's going to somehow tell us how to, you know, oh, nope, does not work that way. Total nope. bullshit. We are paying taxes out the yin yang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that never changes. So for those for those of you who are in your, um, you know, formidable years of building your wealth, remember what we tell you, uh, you know, unless you are doing some of the, you know, let's just say, more uh, adventurous things um, like moving to Puerto Rico, you're going to be paying taxes and you better not uh, think that there's a way to shortcut the paying of taxes when you're in the mainland. And rental properties, by the way, is one of the best ways to mitigate, if you want to call it that, some of your um, some of your federal taxes and mm-hmm. your state taxes. So rental properties, one of, you know, you buy rental properties for the appreciation, the depreciation, and the cash flow, right? But the depreciation aspect on the rental properties is a real home run, assuming you qualify for all the tax benefits. So that in itself is a great reason to buy, um, you know, uh, rental properties. And that's one of the main reasons we did it as well. But here's what I was trying, the point I was trying to make mm-hmm. is that, and maybe when you're uh, finally 50, 
<laughs> okay. Maybe you'll yeah. have this thought too. Mm-hmm. But really what happens is giving yourself permission to somehow start doing less of what you want to do, w- w- less of what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level, right? Yeah. So you start to give yourself permission. And I'll, and I'll tell you from a personal perspective, I did that last year. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I didn't want to do anymore is I didn't want to have four, six, eight, 10, 12 uh, coaching calls anymore. You mean and per day? Per day, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I and you and I for a long time were doing 10 plus per day. We did 15 a day for a while. Yeah, and I didn't want to do that anymore. And yeah. so by not doing it anymore, that was my little you know 50th birthday to my uh, last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm sticking with it too. And so there's, but the, the thing is, even at that point, I didn't even need to be working that hard. It's just because people wanted me to coach them. And I was in the pattern and the behavioral, you know, lifestyle of that sort mm-hmm. of grinding it out sure. every day. But it, again, as we meet more and more wealthy people living here in Puerto Rico and Dorado, mm-hmm. which I know for a lot of you guys don't know what I'm talking about. Rich people, Puerto Rico. Oh, yeah. Huh? yeah. <laughs> what? There are. Yeah. Puerto Rico. Just Google Puerto Rico. Um, you know, Dorado, Puerto Rico, Ritz Carlton, Puerto Rico. And then uh, Google uh Puerto Rico, Act 60. There are so many amazing business owners and entrepreneurs that are moving down here that it's extraordinary. And every time we go out, we trip over. I'll tell you what, there's an avalanche of new people moving here. We are, you know, Julie and I went down uh, to the beach last night with Zoe and we just stumbled across new family after new family after new family. And they're all in different things. Uh, A lot of guys are, you know, they claim to be hedge fund guys or there are different types of industries that um, just are financial stuff, mostly financial stuff, I would say, but a lot of them are also in just all kinds of marketing things. There's of course the Bitcoin contingency down here. Um, There's a lot of famous people. There's a whole bunch of these famous influencer types that are moving down here. So, yeah, there's a lot of that. And when we talk to those people, it's really fascinating that and some of them, I mean, one of the guys that we're friends with is um, probably at least a billionaire and we see him, you know, three, four times a week and he still is working. He still is, you know, attending his daily Zooms and doing all the things. Well, his antivirus software is going all the time. You can almost see the gears working in his brain. Meaning that he's always thinking about the business, even though he's so far beyond having to think about it. Mm -hmm. And and is it because he doesn't know how to break the pattern? No, he probably does. He just doesn't want to. Um, And so I guess the reason I'm sharing all this with you is that there is no point at, at which point you will not want to be productive and make a contribution. And if you ever get to the point where you think you can be complacent, it's probably, it's literally going to be followed shortly thereafter by a mental, emotional, spiritual, financial, and then physical death. And I I know that sounds dramatic, but it is true. And so that's the thing that's fascinating that I wish I would have known probably 25 years ago Mm -hmm. is that I'll always want to be in some sort of... um, um, you know, business, you can call well, it whatever you want to contribution somewhere yeah. or another contribution. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and then, and then there's it, like, you could even argue that, well, that's just how I'm, uh, my ego is wanting to have myself be seen. Yeah. So what? Uh, see, <laughs> I kind of think that to not do that and to not contribute kind of is an expression of ego too. I mean, in a way, if you can help other people and you know how to do it, you know how to do it at a high level and you just decide not to one day. But you I know, mean, everybody's different on that, but I, I don't know. I'd look at it differently, I think. So, so I met a new guy on the beach yesterday who just moved here from L.A., and he's a hedge fund guy. Hopefully he's not listening. I won't mention his name. <laughs> and he was yeah. w- L.A. guy. Remember, there, there's your that's all you need to know. And so he was rattling off all of these different nonprofit investment type things, and he was 
used to talking with other LA people and he was like virtue signaling to me if you guys know what that term means and he he assumed that I thought and acted and wanted to communicate like him which I didn't don't and won't okay and it was fascinating for me to watch him struggle with the fact that it's okay to be profit motivated yeah and he felt he he was thinking that if he had shown that he was profit motivated that he somehow would have been judged in a negative light in my mind because he thought I was looking through life through the same filters as him. Well, remember, he hasn't lived here for very long. Right. He hasn't realized that it's okay to talk about stuff like profit. Well, but but let's talk about that. So, yeah. so I thought that was interesting, too. And he wasn't even super overt about it, but you and no. I are kind of tuned into what the language is on those things. Yeah. And it was very interesting. Because and I pointed it out to him. That kind of stuck out because we don't get that so much. And I pointed mostly. out to him. Yeah. Um, and you got a little frustrated. You were a little mad at me for pointing it out. Well, I, I heard. I mean, he's... You thought he was being rude. He's a pretty new friend. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you thought... You thought... I thought maybe you would have worked that into a conversation three or four. But but you were right, and he took it just fine. But so. do you remember after that, he started then he started talking like a normal human? <laughs> yes. And then and he it's like to... you gave him permission to be uh, really a normal player, human. A normal and, and then he had these two little beautiful girls, and then he went starting to describe how... What was the term he used? He's raised, he raised them to be... Gender, oh, non- gender neutral or something. Gen- or, no, gender non- non-binary. I don't even know what the hell it was. And then he stopped himself. He started laughing. He goes, I just did it again, didn't I? I just virtue signaled again. And I go, yeah, you did. <laughs> you mean you raised raised a girl and let, her, let the little girl be a little girl? Is that what you're trying to say? I know. I'm like, you see how she's like wearing a dress and playing with Barbies, right? Yeah, with our daughter who was raised, you know, they kind of do that a lot of times, you know, pretty much all the time naturally. It's not because you, you know, nature. yeah, it's nature. It's, you know, it is what it is. But so those conversations are kind of fascinating to me because I, I see people now he's, he was, he's 37, but I, mm-hmm. I see people that struggle, that see a conflict with um, a profit motive. Yeah. And I've never seen that. And I'll, and this is the simple reason why I've never had a conflict with being profit motivated. No, you haven't. Ever. And because I can't make a profit unless I'm helping people. Yes, but it, which seems like such an apparent point, right? Obvious. And yet people don't naturally go to that because there's all this other pollution in how you're supposed to think. And gosh, you don't want to talk about that in front of somebody. You know, I, I think but it's dr- gotten confusing for people. Don't talk about it. Drill down on it. Okay. So I I think well, we've talked about this a little bit before where it, it you're not brought up to think that it's okay to talk about money or profit or credit or, you know, your success, you know, put it all into that same um, bucket, if you will. And and so people tread so lightly on it, which I can understand, like not talking about it at all, but like talking sort of down or to the side of it is is the manifestation of, of not being comfortable with it. So I don't want to, I, I would prefer, Julie, not to talk about that, nor would I prefer mm-hmm. to talk about money guilt, nor would I prefer to yeah. talk about lack of financial training and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Because that's normal. That's the normal yeah. jeb bab for talking about this. Mm-hmm. What I want to do is I want to cut to right to the point that the whole point that the reason capitalism has worked mm-hmm. and the reason being profit motivated motivated works and it does not have to be more complicated than that because you can't. And I'm going to say this and just stay focused yeah. if you don't mind. Just let's direct it on this because this is the thought that you know. I remember I'm now officially evidently 16 years older than you. So, so, okay. so, so listening, That's okay. I'm listening. listening to your somewhat, you know, right. 16 years older than your, your older husband. Yeah. So here's what clears the air faster than all people's confusions about making money. Okay. You do not have, if you do not have 
the lifestyle you want, the things you want, the food in your belly that you want, the shoes on your feet that you want, the house that you want, the health that you want. If you do not have the certainly the money that you want, the financial security that you want, if you do not have all of those things in abundance, in an, ex, in an extreme amount of abundance, it's simply for the fact that you have yet to learn how to help enough other people accomplish their goals. There is a direct correlation between the number of people you help accomplish their goals, the number of people you help solve problems, uh, and you know, in many cases, it's help them make money or help them be successful. Those are solving people's problems, or helping someone, you know, buy or sell a house. Those are solving people's problems. Uh, whatever, right? The number of people that you have helped uh, along their path—that's the—that is the mirror to the abundance that you'll experience or the lack of abundance you'll experience in your life. It's a direct ratio. It is a direct undeniable. Now, if you're smart and you happen to get involved in something like EXP with a revenue share, then it's an exponential ratio because with your revenue share, you have helped like I sponsor Julie at EXP and then Julie goes sponsors Bob and Bob sponsors Sally and Sally sponsors 10 people. Well, just because I had this one conversation with Julie, all of a sudden my influence or my ability to get benefit from that is not one-on-one it's, it's one on it's one on millions if not thousands right yes and so that's those are the types which is of, also exactly what you're saying it because you're by sponsoring somebody you are helping them right you're helping them get into and stay in production you're helping them understand how to sponsor other people you're helping you know you are contributing it's just that it's exponential how that's set up so one of our our friends down there who you know mm-hmm. according to you know Bloomberg, he's a billionaire, right? Okay. And we talked to him. Yep. You know, I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So, like, you'll and he's a big hedge fund guy, supposedly uh-huh. the sixth largest headphones in the world, or maybe it was number one. I don't remember. But anyway, so you would think, and this guy is, you know, obviously very wealthy. He has all the things that you'd think a wealthy person would have: the jets, the yachts, the cars, and you know, the whole thing. Super cool, super chill, totally, I mean, very competitive. You can just feel his competitive vibe when you're around him. But in a positive way. Yeah, and he's so easy to talk to, so nice, not a stuffy asshole at all, frankly. Not at all. I love talking to him. I love listening. Actually, I don't love talking to him as much as I love listening to him talk to other people. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Like uh, yesterday, guys, I'll just tell you this. This is funny. So one of the, you know, so there's these three financial guys, and the one whose name was Bob, and then there was, you know, the guy I'm talking about, and this other guy's name was Steve. I'm making up their names. And so, you know, Bob and Steve knew who my guy, who this guy let's was. Say, let's call him Henry. That's, they knew who Henry was. Like he knew, they knew who he was professionally by reputation. And both of these guys had prior, uh, had introduced themselves to me in the past, past months, weeks, years, whatever, as being hedge fund guys. So I thought, well, let's just, I'll just introduce my two other friends and then I'll help everyone make friends, you know. And so I brought all these, you know, I brought Bob and Steve by to meet Henry and Henry's standing in the middle and Bob and Steve by, they come, you know, from, and I said, I said, Henry, this is Bob and Steve. They're also in the hedge fund world. And what was hilarious is how fast uh, Bob and Steve basically uh, completely, you know, melted at me referring to them or explaining to Henry that these are hedge fund guys, which is what they had called themselves to me previously. And because they knew they were in the presence of greatness and watching them immediately, like sort of, well, you know, we do a little investing here and there and whatever, whatever. That is funny. Yeah, it was funny. And I just couldn't, I was, uh, I stopped to laugh. I said, hold on. I, I thought you guys were in the hedge fund world. And they say, well, not like Henry's in the hedge fund world. And just, it was so funny to see the immediate explosion of ego right in front of me. It was like two <laughs> yeah. rocket ships just going off, you know, and going nowhere. 
Uh, but anyway, that was and, funny. Yeah, I mean, but and all of them are very successful in their own right. It's just that it highlights that there's levels to everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and their immense respect for him, yeah. for Henry, you know. Well, so, so but it's interesting. But let's stick with Henry. That's yeah. not his real name. So Henry uh, has this big hedge fund, mm-hmm. and you'd think, like listeners who are hadn't really put a lot of mental horsepower into thinking about this point. Which, by the way, we figured this out along the way. So by Julie and I having this convo, hopefully we're, you know, lessening your learning curve. Or if you're our age or older and you still are conflicted with money, maybe what we're doing is helping, you know, cut those mooring lines finally. You know, those are the lines that uh, keep a boat tied to the dock, right? So um, he is a billionaire many, many times over because he's helped uh, millions, if not tens of millions of people. Oh, Tim, how can that possibly be true? Because when he's made an investment advice, when he is, for example, what I'll make up one of his institutional, um, you know, one of his large scale investors, let's say it's the firefighters fund of, you know, Chicago or something, I don't know. And, um, you know, which a lot of times the big hedge funds, that's, that's who they end up investing their money uh, for. And um, yeah, so he's helping all those firefighters, the firefighters' families, the firefighters' grandchildren, the grandchildren's grandchildren. He's ensuring that the asset of the uh, underlying asset that makes it so that they can actually have pensions is existing not just now, but for generations from now. So does he ever actually talk with any of the firefighters, let alone the you know progeny that comes thereafter that gets the benefit of the pensions? No, but he is helping you know potentially tens of millions of people. Thus, he is a billionaire. I look at Glenn Sanford, frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, he's uh, he's the, the founder, in essence, of um, EXP. Mm-hmm. Well, he is the founder. Yeah. And um, so he's worth, you know, billions of dollars. And back in 2007, and there's videos on YouTube where he's, you know, recollecting about this, he was flat broke, you know, basically. Yeah. And in that amount of time, since 2007, 2008, and now, he's become um, one of the world wealthiest men on planet Earth. Seriously. I know. 14 years. That, that's it. 14 years. And now he's, he's worth, it's billions of dollars mm-hmm. from EXPI. From, you know, the, and I just think about that. Well, some of you would look at that and say, oh, no man needs that much money. That's so much. Well, look, but look what he's done. Look what he's created. Right. You know, so far there's, you know, 50,000 agents now who have an, all have an opportunity at revenue share. EXP is creating business opportunities for agents all over the United States, Canada, and a whole bunch of other countries now. He, look what he's creating. Look at the good he's put into the world. And of course, he's going to get an exponential return on that investment because he's not doing it one-on-one. You know, he's not having, he's not listing one house and then calling it done. He's figured out a way to do something at a much, much larger scale. But the moral of the story is, is don't be conflicted with profit motivation. Don't think that, for example, you know, people like Glenn and all these other people aren't going to be, and that's the other thing that's fascinating to me in this era that we live in, Mm -hmm. that somehow there's this belief that billionaires aren't able to put their money into action at a more efficient way than, say, for example, the government. It's absolutely not true. Yeah. What these guys talk about primarily when we're on, um, when we run into them around our property is uh, what other businesses they can get involved in, what other investments they can make. And a lot of times they are charitable investments. That's probably the number mm-hmm. one thing people talk Definitely. about. Um, and, you know, different things, especially in Puerto Rico, different mm-hmm. things that people can do to, you know, tons of things. Very, very charitable. So many different opportunities here for sure. Yeah. And it's fun. I mean, yeah. there, there was a big group of us that went and picked up, we didn't do it yet, but we did it locally, who mm-hmm. went and picked up trash on a beach. Yeah. You know, and that happens every weekend. And there's a, yeah. And there's, um, you know, uh, <laughs> I was just thinking how funny it is when people drive by seeing all these people picking up trash on the beach that so they don't realize that some of those people are you know, business leaders and thought leaders I, in the I world. Know, yeah, they it's don't funny, have any but, idea. But we're all doing it, yeah. you know? And there's a huge Satos problem, which means stray dog problem here 
for example. And guess what? A lot of these people that came to Puerto Rico, they allow, they pay for these stray dogs to be put on uh, oftentimes chartered private jets and sometimes their own private jets. And they fly these stray dogs all over North Thousands America. Thousands of them. Yeah, on a regular basis. Uh, every single week, there, there's like uh, between 100 and 200 just on the one organization that I'm involved with. Yep. But yeah, we've got pilots for pups. We've got all these things. And so what's the local government solution to Satos? Satos is Spanish for stray dogs, basically. It's to kill them. And so what these people are doing is they're taking the dogs and they're taking them to North America where because of you know COVID, there's not any there's pets for adoptions. Yeah. And and that's what they're doing. And by it, the time they land, every single one of them is adopted. And you that's that? so that's the thing that's that awesome. I didn't I, I didn't know when I was uh when you and I were coming up, right? Mm-hmm. But really, if you want to the brightest minds in the world, generally speaking, are also the most generous. Yes, I would agree with that. And, and that's very, that's very, very consistent. And if you allow those people to then um, use those uh, the, their creative energies and their their desire to make contributions, which is really it's those two values are predicated on, you know, basically building, being able to build great wealth. If you don't sincerely love people, if you don't want to make a contribution, if you don't want to make people's lives better. In some differing percentages, if you don't have those three things as your main drivers, it does not matter how smart you are, how analytical you are. It does not matter how amazing you are with money or any of these other business ventures. If you are not coming from a true place of wanting to help other people, you're never, you might make money, but you're never going to become that wealthy for that long period of time because you're not tapping in to the thing that gives you the constant flow of energy, which is knowing you're helping people. Yeah. And you know, I, I, as you were talking, I was thinking that some of our most successful coaching clients over the years got that point and actually combined the thing that they wanted to be charitable about. Maybe that's, you know, buy or sell with me, adopt a pet for free. Maybe it's, um, you know, children's charities. Maybe it's, you know, choose your charity. And they combined that with their real estate practice. They they did some kind of promotions with that. They talked about that. And it's funny because our agents that have done that, it's like they become magically more comfortable talking about, you know, transactional things. Right. It opens up that uh, feeling of being of service. And then they get less weird about being in sales. So, so it, I just think it's interesting. If you don't have a true profit motive, if you're confused about that, like I heard, let's make this really practical. Mm-hmm. I'll hear people... All the time, they'll say, I formed a team or a brokerage because I want to help the agents in my office. I really mm-hmm. enjoy – and, like, they're doing it at their their own cost. They're breaking one of Harris Rules' rules, which is, you know, put your own mask on first. And But they're why are they doing it? So their fulfillment or at least their perceived – their virtue signaling, that's what they're doing. They're not willing to say the point of me having a brokerage or a business is to make profit and more profit the better. And with that profit, I'm going to reinvest it into assets that produce a passive income so that one day I can be rich where my money works for me and I don't have to work for my money, Right. They don't want to say that. They don't want to put all those thoughts together because they're worried about being judged harshly mm-hmm. for wanting to be profit motivated. Where I'll challenge you that if you're more profit motivated, you'll actually run all of your businesses more efficiently because you have something larger that's driving your ambitious, which is being financially free. And here's the thing I also didn't know. I suspect mm-hmm. it, truthfully, mm-hmm. is that um, once you're at the point where you don't have to work for money anymore, where your money works for you, once you're actually there, and you are so much, at least I see this amongst some of our peers, especially here, frankly, they're so much more, we said generous, entrepreneurial, um, I hate using the word happy, but I will say um, they're more in alignment with really who they always wanted to be as people. Yeah. But you can only have that sense of freedom once you're actually rich. And rich is another word, it's a taboo word, yeah. which, which we use intentionally. 
because we want some of you guys to go, ew, rich people, evil. Then we want you to think to yourself, well, why do I think that's true? Are rich people evil? And I'm here to tell you, having been a poor person, now being a rich person, rich people are not evil. No. No. <laughs> but I think mentally you've got to make the leap and replace if you have an initial negative reaction to the word rich. Remember that what rich really means is free. Yeah, that's it's it. It's freedom to make your own decisions, freedom to make your own choices, freedom to you know give charitably, freedom to do what you want to do in life because you have done what you have to do in life. Well, so that's one of the things I'm going to start um, – doing well i have started doing it already Mm -hmm. but one of the things that being rich gives you is definitely the ability to do less of what you don't want to do when you don't want to do at the highest level Mm -hmm. and so i would say going back to the original premise of what we're talking about today with regards to buying those rental properties Mm -hmm. and having it be brutal because it was brutal oftentimes right Mm -hmm. you know you and i had a close date we had a big deposit down we have to come up with the money cash and often cases to buy uh, you you know pay for that house that means that we weren't doing a lot of the things that we could have otherwise done. Sure. In some cases, it was, you know, doing when we had to do those things when we didn't want to do them. Mm-hmm. All right. That was, you know, that was hard. Yeah. We, we Okay. Let's just make it really personal. We procrastinated starting our family because that's of that. That's right. Yeah, that's true. We absolutely would have more kids probably. Yeah. If, uh, if we had not made that sacrifice. Yeah. Zoe's like 10, to, you know. She's, <laughs> she's like having 10 kids exactly, in one body, no. though. Are we allowed to say that? <laughs> she made up for it. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> But yeah. the, you know, we're blessed that in way a good for way. sure, right? Yeah. But so the moral of the story is is that um, rich. By the way, your simple definition again, Harris Rules number four, I think. By the way, I keep on talking about Harris Rules, guys. Get our book. It's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. It's at airports. It's everywhere for sale. <laughs> sale. It's hopefully going to be the best time, uh, the best selling real estate book. Um, not in all genres, but specifically pertaining to real estate agents, uh, business building ideas and things of that nature. The only one I think that's going to probably rival us is going to be Gary Keller's original book, The uh, Millionaire Real Estate Investor, but, or Millionaire Real Estate Agent. But he, his book's been out for 30 years. And so I see a lot of people gravitating towards our books and buying the same book at the same time. You know, When you're checking out with our book and it gives says, you, you know, purchasers who bought Harris Rules also like this book and they flash that original MRE book, uh, that tells me we're on the right track, frankly. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And I often it'll pop up uh, Jeb Blunt's book too, The yeah. Fanatical Prospecting. Which so is another great book. That's a book. good club. That's yeah. a good club to be I like in. it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so the, the point of it is, is would I have done anything differently? Would you have done anything differently? Hmm. Well, EXP wasn't around back then. Right. And so had it been, I think we would have followed that path. Yeah, that's that's the thing that's really it's like uh, uh, <laughs> I feel happy about it, but at the same time I feel a little bit like oh, <laughs> you know, because you can't get all those yeah. years back. You can't get all that sacrifice back. No, but you know, when you make that decision today, you won't be saying that two years from now. I mean, you, you well, still got to pull that trigger. But here's the, here's also the thing because I had these conversations. Let's say you're a 50 year old man or woman somewhere out there in the world listening to us right now. And you didn't accumulate any rental properties. You have no sure. net worth. And you're listening to us thinking, well, they've got a bunch of rental properties and good for them. Uh, but here's what we're trying to tell you is that um, it's not just rental properties, by the way. As Julie said, we diversified big time. But uh, in in retrospect, if we had to do it all over again, well, here, let me just put it this way. We're making more um, income per month from our EXP revenue share than we did after all those that, you know, the sacrifice and all those rental properties after all those decades. I know. And yeah, the, and you know, for our listeners, it's quite a bit more like, challenging for them. Like way you more. Know. Yeah, like, you like like yeah. like more than twice as much. Yes. Right. And I, you know, I we're not supposed to talk about that, but the moral of the story is is if you guys are getting ready to get started and form your big financial future, or if you're trying to look for a way to make up for lost ground, you gotta look at the XP's revenue share model. It is yeah. phenomenal. 
It's the thing that you've been looking for that you haven't quite known how to even you know express that you're searching for it. So even if you're the most virtue signaling, you know, profit or charity minded, nonprofit focused person in the world, you want more than anything is to never have to worry about money again. Because never having to worry about money, being financially free, what that creates for you ultimately is freedom of your soul. And I'm, I'm not being spiritual here, guys. I'm just being practical. Yeah. Would you would you think the same about politics? Would you think the same about everything, anything? Name one thing you think would stay the same in where you live, how you live, people you hang out with, all that, if you no longer had, if you were basically completely financially free. If you're completely financially free and that gorilla was finally off your back, you would, every aspect, now I'm not saying you'd, you know, you'd move away from your family and I'm not, you know, suggesting anything dramatic like that. But if you are financially free, would you still stay in the same town you were living in? Would you, you know, believe the same things you believe with regards to politics and with regards to societal things that are, you know, abnormal right now or maybe normal right now? I don't know. Would you believe those things? You wouldn't. A lot of the decisions you make are um, based on your need to feel like you're part of a group. And the reason that the group uh, is there is to protect you. Like it's a tribal thing. And if you're, you know, working and uh, have a paycheck job and have consistent pay coming in, and if that pay weren't coming in, you would lose everything you have. In order for you to, you know, re- reinforce that uh, consistent income, you're maybe being uh, put on pressures to live in a certain town. And I mean, when Julie and I were selling real estate, when people would come work for the limited, you know, <laughs> those people were given overt pressure to live where we were selling real estate because the guy who owned limited Victoria's Secret, Bath and Body Works, whatever, whatever, he developed the, the area that we sold real estate in. So these reloading employees oftentimes were making huge money, uh, never never hardly wanted to come to Columbus, Ohio. No, <laughs> they were, it, it was so funny when we would find out we were going to handle a relocation client. Yeah. And we were like, oh, no, they're coming in February. Yeah, you know, exactly. And they're coming like from Atlanta or Miami or someplace. Or, or like L.A. Or, yeah. You know, like, or, or oh, the, pray for sunshine that day. Or like from the Upper East Side in New York or whatever. Yeah. You know, and they're flying to Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> and they were, it's just exactly like, like, how long do I have to be here? Like they put on the happy face for like three seconds. And then it was like, oh, my gosh. And then the funny part was is that a lot of them were executives and sort of on their way to being bosses at these all these you know companies and um, yeah they were resentful of having to go there they were resentful of having to give up their friends and their lifestyle in the town that they were moving from they didn't want to live in Columbus Ohio no matter how nicely gilded New Albany was they still didn't want to live there for the most part and um, it was that was a good lesson really a good lesson because it really drove home the fact that Uh, More income doesn't necessarily make you happier. Like these people in some cases are making, and this is back in the 90s, they're making, you know, $500, $600 million. Some of them with bonuses were making over a million dollars. I'll tell you guys a funny story, true story. Now, this guy probably liked his job, so maybe forget what I'm telling you now. But this dude's job, and I'm kidding you not, was to fly all over the world. Yeah, remember this guy? I don't remember his name. He was a single guy. Mm -hmm. He was a good-looking guy. Mm -hmm. And his only job was to source lace elastic in basically the materials that uh, Victoria's Secret used to make all their, you know, underwear. Yeah. And that was his job. And so he would basically fly all over the world and have to essentially meet with um, people to sell them lace. And then he'd have to go and see if the lace, what it actually looked like and how it actually looked on the human. And so his whole life was nothing but wall to wall lace and lacy. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was basically a 
materials and fabric sourcer for lingerie. Yeah, that was his job. Single dude. And I think he was probably in his mid-30s, maybe 40 tops. Very, very happy man. Yes, he was very happy. <laughs> and he, do you remember why he was reloading out of New Albany? You remember where he was going? I Didn't he work for Adidas? I can't believe you like remember that. that. Yeah. 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 So he, he got a job working for Adidas. From lace to shoelaces. I don't know. But he was flying. He was going to live in a place he wanted to live because yeah. he didn't want to live there. Yeah. yeah from lace to shoelaces. Yeah. But it, and he it wasn't Adidas, it was Adidas, I remember. Oh, that's right. Yes. He corrected us. Yeah. Right, he did. Well, but anyway, the point of it being is it, it income doesn't seem to give you the independence you want. Otherwise, people wouldn't be having to force themselves to move to places in the country just to get jobs to work at companies they may probably didn't really want to work for anyway. They're doing it in pursuit of money. So what the goal should be, it seems to me, isn't just a big income, though that is important, and always try to have a big income. But the goal should definitely be to have it so that your core business, or I'm sorry, your core, core personal expenses are definitely covered by passive income. Because then, to use these examples, you probably, if you were back in the 90s and you were living your best life and out in you know some beach town in California, and all of a sudden your job went away, and Les Wexner's trying to get you to work for him selling I don't know, stuff for Lerner, or I don't know, you know, whatever, right? Remember you own that brand called Lerner? Yeah. yeah. Or, or uh, what, Abercrombie and Fritch, you own that mm-hmm. brand too. But you have to move to, you know, not very pleasant Columbus, Ohio. It's nice for maybe four months of the year, if we're being honest. Are you going to argue that point? Anyway, moving on. How much snow is on the ground right now? Nothing. It's okay. like 65. Okay, well, so Julie's a Central Ohio defender. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> it's okay. Well, but the point of it is, is that that's what happens on the other side of basically being rich where your money works for you. You no longer have to work for your money. You can choose where you live, who you, you know, who you, what towns well, you can You're talking about freedom at the end of the day. Yeah. And, and I mean, just let's just stay on yeah. that as an example. Mm-hmm. How many of the, the people that, were, that are listening to us now are living in a like living in a world well let's make it super personal you and i moved to new albany and we loved all of our neighbors mm-hmm. and you know it was a wonderful place yeah if we were rich were we back then would we have moved there and Probably paid the not. taxes and no. all that no we would there's a lot of places you can okay. say that about but so, you know we would go someplace warmer as with soon, less tax as soon as we could yeah we moved out of central ohio yeah and we moved to someplace warmer with less tax yeah. And that's what people are doing. And that's what people do do once they have the financial It's really ability. happening now. Right. For sure. Exactly. And that's one of the things that happens when people are financially free is they then have the independence to live where they want to live around the people. They, you guys sort of intuitively know all this. But the question that you need to ask yourselves is what's if that is indeed your goal to be free. Now, maybe you're financially free and you stay you stay put. Maybe you've got this perfect little oasis in the mi- middle of, you know, Michigan or something where, you know, beautiful trees and forests and your family's close and this is just your perfect best life is not the same as say for example, Julie and I, we wanted to live on an island in the Caribbean, which we do do. You know, we live in Puerto Rico. So those are the different, you know, whatever it is. But once you get to the point where you had that financial freedom, everything could change if you wanted it to. It doesn't have to, but it could. And that's the kind of Thing that we it, I, we knew that when we got married, we yes, did, we couldn't verbalize it like no. we verbalize it now, but we did understand it. Yeah, um, and that's the reason we took our abnormal path, right? Mm-hmm. You know, our abnormal path. And I wonder how many people listening now who can emotionally attach to that um, will ever give themselves permission to pursue it. Well, write us some emails as you're doing it. We like to hear victory stories, <laughs> but and guys, the quick, those decisions. But here, the saying that the, I the fastest way, honestly, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. fastest way for them to do it. Mm-hmm. If you were to, if this, and I know that's what you're about to talk about, yeah. right? We want to create a solution for them, right? Yes. We've created tension. something practical. We've created tension and pain. Here's now the, the resolution. Right. I wouldn't buy rental properties, would you? 
Not now. No. They're hard, too hard to find, too expensive, and the rents are not keeping up with the prices. All right, let's give that as an example. So I was on uh, Realtor.com this morning, mm-hmm. and I, uh, I I basically couldn't believe it, but there was a house on <laughs> our first street of East Jeffrey that, what did I tell you, 335000 Yeah. Yeah, okay. And that, and the same house, basically the same house in the same street, when and we did not get married back when everything was black and white. No. So you asked me that sometimes. I know. Did you have color when you were a kid? <laughs> we got married in 91 <laughs> and we bought our first house probably in 92. Mm-hmm. And that house was, what did we pay for it? 67? 70575 Okay. So back then, if we would have bought that house for cash, we would have rented it out and you would have been able to make easily 450 bucks net on that thing yeah. easily. Which if you did the math on that in your head, that's a really good return on investment. Yeah. Now, if you bought said property now for 335000 and most you could get for that's probably thirteen hundred, and that's before taxes. Yeah, and upkeep and all that. And rest. upkeep. Yeah. So you're going to net, if you're lucky, a thousand dollars a month. And that's on a normal house with no HOA or add-ons right. or some of the things these guys have to deal with. Right. Yeah. And that's the way most of the country is. Yeah. The average sale price of a home right now in the United States is like three hundred fifty grand, which mm-hmm. is incredible, really. Um, and if you buy one of those, if even if you pay cash for it, uh, to Julie's point, you're not going to be making a very good cash on cash no, investment. You're not. You're just, now, for some of you guys are going to say, "Well, Tim, that's the reason you don't pay cash; you finance it." Okay, that's uh, and then you put down fifty grand on that house, and then look at the return on investment you're making on your fifty grand until the tenant stops paying the rent, and then you have to start making the mortgage payment, and there goes your investment thesis. Yep. So these investor types that are constantly telling you to you know lever up one property against another against another dominoes basically. Yeah, how'd that go in the housing crash? It's dumb, guys. It's not a smart idea if you want to create financial security for yourself. It's focusing on the wrong thing. You're not. You're focusing on the accumulation of assets. You're not a f- a focusing on the accumulation of uh, net income or passive income. There is a huge difference in the philosophies and the approaches you take. Now, the guy that and gal that it, you know ladders from one property to the next and is borrowing against one from the other, they will end up with more assets than, say, for example, Julie and I would. But they won't end up with more net income. And even if they did have more gross revenue coming in from all their assets, as soon as the interest rates change or as soon as the – like you could have a high concentration of properties around a particular geographic area and that particular geographic area goes into its own little mini recession, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden those properties, the rents drop and then all of a sudden the tenants don't live there anymore and now you're having to support payments on 10, 15, 20 different properties. Well, I mean all you need is more inventory to change everything. Exactly. And, so the, and then you look at the oh, government coming out and trying to basically push its way into how you manage properties properties. No rent, you know, rent uh, eviction moratoriums and all these other different forms of, in in Texas where we have properties. I just, I'm following following uh, the story, but it looks like pretty much every town in Texas is going to try to dramatically raise property taxes to make up for revenue shortfalls that came as a result of people not spending money uh, because of COVID. And this is going to continue to happen. Oh, Tim, you're not knowing about the VRBO thing. Well, let's talk about that. How many cities where VRBOs have become really dominant have now made it so that you can't um, rent someplace for uh, a short period of time? Or you have to, like even in Columbus, Ohio, mm-hmm. we got a notice. And this was <laughs> bizarre. We thought it was a scam where they were asking us to register our rentals. Mm-hmm. Like what? Why would what? And if you don't, then an automatic penalty would be attached to your property tax. Right. So why are they doing that? Why would they want in Columbus, Ohio, where there is no VRBO market? Not really. Why, why would they want us to register our rentals? Well, there is only one damn reason, and the answer is obviously is because they're going to start trying to figure out a way to charge property owners, landlords, some kind of added tax. 
And I'll tell you right now what we're going to do. We're going to raise rents to cover the tax. Absolutely. But this 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 whole thing, you know, is just essentially the destruction of what was our original um, you know, thesis as far as how to be rich, where our money is working for us and we are no longer working for our money. To which, you know, full circle is the reason. And we could talk about multifamilies and all that stuff, but let's not. Let's just focus on this. What's the quickest way for you to create the most passive income with the least risk? It is revenue share with the XP full stop. Absolutely. That's it. There's not even an alternative. No. Not that no, I'm aware of. No, you got to sell real estate. You have to learn to sell real estate at a high level. But you have to do those things anyway. Right. You have to be you know, financially prudent. You should probably pick up some rental properties. All these things are still part of your overall uh, investment plan. But if the question is, is, how do I create the most passive income the quickest? I For real estate agents, for dummies like all of us, I've never seen anything as good as uh, EXP revenue share. Well, the simple fact is that if you're not, if you're with anybody except EXP, you're making money one way. And that is just simply your commission. That's it. It's easy math to figure out. When you're with EXP doing the same amount of real estate transactions, you, what is it? Six or seven different ways. So, I mean, that alone is pretty basic math. Uh, so I thought of a really good analogy. I haven't heard, yeah. I haven't told this to you yet. Okay. Actually, I wrote it down. I was, was going to make it perfect. So it's going to be kind of, going to be kind of, you know. First run. Okay. Okay. First, first run. Draft. Okay. So I want you to imagine mm-hmm. a box full of uh, turtles. Oh, I saw you jot down something called a turtle It's right there. You saw my notes. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay, a box full wor- of turtles. I've been working on this because I like the idea. Mm-hmm. So a box full of turtles. And let's say there's one turtle. Let's call him Boss Turtle. Boss Turtle. Boss Turtle. You okay. can see him, right? Uh-huh. Right. First time saying this out loud. Okay. This is all going from my thoughts, right? And so Boss, a whole bunch of turtles in this box. And Boss Turtle says, you know what? We need to get together. So that all of us, oh, I just put it all together in my head. This is really good. Mm-hmm. So all, so we can all escape from this box. But here's how it's got to work. I want all of you, remember this is Boss Turtle. I want all of you to, uh, I'm wondering now as I'm doing Boss Turtle voice, why is it it sounds different than mine? You know, so I'm trying to give him a voice. Maybe <laughs> it's I okay. Give, it's under development. Maybe I should give Boss Turtle a different voice. <laughs> Not telling me you have to go get Zoe. But isn't it yeah, funny? It is. Yeah. My storytelling boss voice turtle. evidently for Boss Turtle is that one. Yeah. All right. I'll give him, you know what? I'll give him a slight country slang. Uh, okay. I'll give him our Texas <laughs> okay. slang. So I want all of you. Is that? <laughs> I don't no, know. I don't know. Yeah. That's preacher voice. Uh, t- yeah. I want all of you to go ahead and stand on top of each other. So Barney, you're first. Bob, you're next. Poor Bob. Steve, you're <laughs> after that. Betty, all of you guys go and, you know, get on top of each other. One turtle on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of the other. And they all start doing it. He's Boss Turtle after all, and he's going to go to the top. And Boss Turtle's premise was, I need to climb on top of all of you so that I can get to the top so I can then decide, I can then tell all the rest of us how we're finally all going to escape from this box. Mm -hmm. So Boss Turtle then has, you know, it, it has like 10 of them stack. There's like 30 of them in this box, and he has 10 of them stack on top of each other. So like 10 of them stack on top of each other. He then slowly climbs to the top. You know, obviously the turtles in the bottom are getting smashed. And Boss Turtle gets to the top. And then, you know, Boss Turtle, the turtles in the bottom, like the bottom five turtles, they were under, you know, a lot of duress. Their shells are starting to creak. You know, not a good day for those guys. Then Boss Turtle gets to the top and he goes, you know what? I still can't see at the top. He got on his back. Are they called feet? Claws. Feet. Claws. Yeah. He got on his back claws and he's trying to scratch at the top of the box to peek over the edge. He can't see over the edge. And so Boss Turtle then climbs slowly to the bottom and then he orders or, you know, asks or suggests, uh, you know, 10 more turtles get on top. 
And so 10 more turtles get on top. And then he crawls back up again. Now, of course, Betty, Bob, and Steve at the bottom at this point can barely breathe. They're getting smashed. It's not just the three of them. It's now the bottom 10 that are all getting smashed. And then he finally crawls up at the top. He finally crawls at the top. And then he can see outside of the box. And he can see out of the box. And all these turtles underneath him, they can't see out of the box. The guys at the bottom are the ones that got smashed and are dying. The guys that are maybe the next third up, they're still alive, but they're not very comfortable. The ones at the top, they've only got maybe five or six turtles or four, four or five turtles on top of them. So they might actually have a chance of escaping. But at the very least, they're not getting smashed in this huge, you know, turtle uh, wall that that you know boss turtle had formed and so what does boss turtle when he does when he gets to the top he flips himself out of the box and he walks away and he's free you like that it's good okay now yeah. here's the analogy mm-hmm. and this is what because i i thought of this because i'm trying to figure out uh, an easy way to explain revenue share mm-hmm. did you see where i was going with my I think whole plan so. okay so what in the brokerage business in the traditional especially franchise brokerage business the agents are the turtles that are at the bottom that are getting smashed. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the bosses and the sub bosses, the office managers, and maybe the franchise holders, they're the turtles in the middle. They're still getting smashed, but they're not getting smashed as much as the ones at the bottom. And then the ones at the very top, those are the ones that own the, the regions and they're the ones that work in corporate office. They're the ones that are getting an exponential, uh, you know, a disproportionate amount of the blood, sweat, and tears, of the, especially of the turtles at the bottom. But it's important to remember the system, the, you know, Big Bob, Big Boss Turtles idea was uh, predicated on those bottom turtles being willing to stand there while all these other turtles stand on their backs and smash them to bits. Mm -hmm. And so his only way of escaping from the box was by essentially allowing the turtles below him to suffer. That's the real estate brokerage business, especially in a franchise model. Yeah, and it can look like we're all working together. But in fact, you know, the ones on the bottom are turning to turtle soup. And they didn't know, realize they were at the bottom until it was too late. They didn't realize they were at the bottom until they were getting smashed. Well, and the ones in the middle used to be at the top. No. Well, yeah. I, and then you pile turtles on no, top. You're, me- you're messing up my story. Yeah. yeah. Just, well, yeah. but the point is, is that you, the further down the turtle pile you are, obviously, the, the less chance you have of being That's free right. and the more flattened you are. Mm-hmm. And the middle group, they're still getting flattened, but they're, you know, going to probably live. But the ones at the top have the best chance of escaping. Definitely. And then Boss Turtles, he's already gone. And he's, he's the only one that got over the edge. And Boss Turtles headed back to the lake. Mm-hmm. Right. So all those little yeah. seven-year-olds, all Zoe's buddies who are, you know, picking up turtles and putting them in a box, yeah. they, they all escape, you know. But, but only the ones at the top escape guys that's life i just described it succinctly i think mm-hmm. so what do you think good story I like it. it's yeah. good i'm gonna work on it gotta give bob his, his turtle voice to i'm smashing <laughs> i'm getting smashed help me i'll work on something yeah. uh and no we're not drinking any um anything right now this Other is uh, this is this is us completely sober <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the um but that's the thing i and i got yeah. to thinking about so i'll talk to somebody about exp revenue share sometimes mm-hmm. and they're like so screwed up in their head about the idea that they're going to be making money off you know agents that eventually come into their revenue share groups and i'm like first of all the money doesn't come from them it comes from their cap so it's not like they're actually paying you it's the company you. dollar it's, it's not com- from the agent right it's not you are from- not screwing agents over in any way nope Quite and i wouldn't the opposite. and i wouldn't have said screwing over either but you know some of them think that right they're not making your revenue share does not come from the agents your revenue share comes from exp's portion uh you're getting a portion of their cap that's where it comes from that's number one yes so and number two is you're caught in that paradigm of essentially having you're most likely an agent or maybe you're in that middle group but you are getting smashed and you don't really realize it and most times you might even be 
um, surrounded by other turtles you like. You might even be in a nice turtle box, right? And, and no one ever stops to think, well, maybe there's something better if I finally climbed to the top and looked over the edge and I could actually be free and get back to the, mm-hmm. back to the lake. And that's what happens with a lot of you guys is that you, you just stay in the middle of the pile or the bottom of the pile for your entire lives, slowly getting smashed. And, and when you start to have your shell completely break, that's the disillusionment of, of your soul, really. That's you letting, letting loose and letting go of your goals, your, any sense of self. You just essentially try, start to relinquish what could have been your potential just to stay in the pile. Yeah, but it doesn't have to go that way. And you don't have to wait for your shell to start to crack to make right. a decision. And furthermore, you don't ha- there's no too young or too old with this scenario. Absolutely, there's not. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the most amazing things is, you know, it, it is not too late. You, you could be an agent in your 60s or 70s and this is going to work for you. Totally. Because it works very quickly. Very quickly. Well, you do have to make some effort. You do have to choose the right sponsor. Someone's going to help you sponsor other people. You do want to be... That makes a difference. You do sure. want to be in the right environment. So you're going to be around other people that are also trying to escape from said box. Yeah. Same Cause, mindset. Because a lot of times you're going to have people that are stuck in the box happily. Mm-hmm. They don't realize that's it. true. And statistically, it plays out, too, because if you look at, for example, the statistic that 95 percent of everyone is born and raised in the same like 25 mm-hmm. mile radius, of the exact same spot. Yeah. Social Security Administration mm-hmm. statistic. I'm sure that's still true. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, when you look at the, and I'm not judging, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I mean, whatever. Don't misunderstand what we're saying. You, you know, keys to happiness isn't necessarily moving from where you live now, but having the ability to basically move from where you live now if you wanted to and not being beholden to a geographic area uh, because that's where you have oh, to earn money. It's freedom of everything. It's it is. Freedom of maybe where you live has to do with, you know, maybe you're in a really old house and you're just sick of these repairs and you'd love to buy new construction. It could be that kind of freedom. It could be, you know, you keep on nurturing your car that's got 150,000 miles on it and you think you're supposed to be doing that. Freedom to make these choices. Now, you may decide to keep that car. But you have the freedom to do something about it. I like things even that's very practical. But I, I think about your parents. To be honest mm-hmm. with you, your parents are both school teachers, mm-hmm. and for the most part, conservative. Yeah, yeah. And but now they're retired school teachers, living mm-hmm. off their school teacher pension. Right. They have to feel, and they're in their eighties, seventy, eighties. They have to feel some level of um, disillusionment with the yeah. NEA because a lot of the things that are happening right now. Uh, essentially with the socialization of a lot of these institutions, right? Yeah. They have to feel conflicted because it, and they have to feel pressure to somehow change, like they're probably not liking at all what's happening with a lot of the traditional values they had with regards to education. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, your parents were not, um, you know, slackers when it came to their jobs. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying teachers now are, but like, for example, I bet you if we were to ask your parents what their attitudes are towards teachers wanting to not go back to school even after COVID mm-hmm. shots and everything been in place, I, I cannot imagine no. that they would think that that was really, oh, those people that that are out of alignment with, yeah. you know, their missions, which were supposedly yeah. to help kids, you know? I know. And, and like, so I wonder like, for example, people like that, that are caught in those paradigms where your, your financial security, your, your literal ability to feed your family, you have to belong to this little professional organization. Right. And if you step outside those norms, you'll be ostracized and you might sure. lose your job and there goes your financial security. Yeah, and a lot so, of your friends are at that job and there's reinforcements there. So, right, exactly. You know, you Social, become conflicted. Right. Well, how about this? Even your friends. Do you just choose mm-hmm. friends because you happen to be a teacher living in Columbus, Ohio, and so the people that are also – you want to support your, you know, your, your, uh, your position in the hierarchy. So maybe you choose friends that are also in the same hierarchy that sure. – 
now you're spending your free time with people Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't normally, well, we don't. Now you're spending your free time with people that you wouldn't normally spend your free time with. Yeah. Because you're trying to in you're trying to better your position in this tribe in essence. Well, so the saying is when you generate as in profit as the result of helping enough people at the highest level, you don't have to tolerate some of the decisions that you're making just because you've fallen into that clan, right? When you generate, you don't have to tolerate feast and famine of real estate. You don't have to tolerate not living where you want, you know, living where you don't want to live, driving what you don't want to drive, making decisions, maybe even political stuff or who your friends are. When you generate, everything opens up, right? When you have that freedom where your money is working for you and you're no longer working for it. In other words, freedom to make those decisions. You know, at least you'll have the freedom to make it. We're not telling you what to do with it. We're just saying free yourself to be able to make some choices. Well, I didn't know you'd done this, but evidently we're fe- we're feeding a village in the Philippines. <laughs> yes. And well, we... I don't know about the whole village, but the orphans in the village anyway. Were those the orphans? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yep. So they sent, we had fed that same village before mm-hmm. because I got in another picture and there weren't kids. There were older people. Oh. Yeah. So so anyway, we got this uh, video. We put put it on Facebook. I think I also put it on Instagram of um, this big group of kids singing happy birthday to Aunt Julie. I know. It was awesome. Yeah. And it was it was totally unexpected. So this big, you know, orphanage evidently of children who we had fed. I don't know, you know, I don't know anything other than that. But provide we provided pillows and I think some clothing and stuff like that. Yeah. But that's an, that's an, I bet you we I didn't, love doing stuff like that. It was thousands, not tens of thousands, yeah. you know. And doing things like that, and you see the direct result of that. It's like that is something that we want to do more of, right? Absolutely. And we are doing more of mm-hmm. in all sorts of different ways. And yeah. that's the freedom that you can start having once you have. But the first things first is you got to be unconflicted with regards to your profit motive. Yeah. Being profit motive and, and wanting to make yourself rich is your moral imperative. And the reason is is because you need to make yourself not beholden to money as fast as humanly possible so then you can start doing more extraordinary things with your life. So don't think money is evil. The lack of money is is perhaps evil because the lack of money does not allow you ever to be free. Once free, every single one of you, unless you're a sociopath, is going to do more miraculous things with your life than you ever will be able to as long as you're having to basically work for a living. In essence. Absolutely. I think like, I, you know, what do you I think, think that's a good way to. to do you like rap. my turtle story? I do. Yeah, I like that. You can you can take that to a lot a lot of different facets of Definitely. life too. Yeah, turtles like in a it. box. Mm-hmm. We live by a big lake. Uh, with, with some really big turtles. With some really big turtles. <laughs> exactly. They love eating shrimp. How big of turtles? So true story. We're going on a walk, and we walk past oh, this, this big lake, <laughs> and there's this medium sized turtle that is eating a full size iguana. Yes. Yeah. Head first. Yeah. Ew, that was so gross. But that gives you an idea about the size of these turtles and how hungry they are. Actually, you know what? That Definitely gives me? don't want to fall into that pond. But that tells me something else too. What? What the hell kind of turtles are those? <laughs> hungry? I don't I'm know. Hungry? Yeah, but they're not eating like you <laughs> no, know. No, not... I know. You'd think it would just be all bugs and stuff. But... That, that's my point. Those must be snapping turtles. That I, I think those are something carnivorous turtles. Serious. Yeah, I know. So I don't even know what else is in that lake. I've seen some huge fish there too. Mental note: Do not swim in that flip. Do not lake. even stick your toe. <laughs> do not swim. That. No. Well, it, it is kind of funny. Isn't that that's near where they said the uh, alligator was found also. So it's yep. a little survival of the fittest right here. Occasionally. If you're not feeling motivated, go for a jog in Puerto Rico. Well, that is true. You'll run faster. It, it was just six doors down. Julie and I live in this yeah. villa, and it's basically like a five-minute walk to the beach. And, 
And so there's there are no out there. Well, there's not supposed to be any alligators or any no, crocodiles or anything indigenous. here. They, so no one really knows how they get here. The, you know, maybe someone brought them in as a pet, but good luck getting that through the airport. Not anymore. So, so what people believe is they come in as uh, eggs, obviously, when there's storms and whatever from um, adjacent islands or whatever. So you will hear maybe twice, once or twice a year, you'll hear a story about some big damn alligator that, you know, and, and I don't know how these things grow to be so big with uh, essentially nobody noticing. It's but, just because they don't have any predators. Well, yeah, they're chowing down on the iguanas and the turtles. Yeah. But so it's six doors down from us. We <laughs> didn't see it, but we heard about it, that there was like, he was six or seven feet long yeah. alligator. There was just some dude's yard. Yeah. And you know, here's what I thought. That we walk past every day. Right, we do. And yeah. Zoe does too. But here's what I thought when I thought that story. What? There must be some point in an alligator's life where he goes, F you world, I'm not hiding anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm six Come feet. Get me. I'm six feet now. This is the, I know. It, it, the shoe is on the other foot. I'm not running, hiding, scared anymore. I'm much more careful on that walk. Now. He, I know. Yeah. He, he was out in the uh, daylight. Yes, I know. <laughs> he was I know. Sunning. Well, don't forget. You know, when I was taking Zoe to school one day, and I stopped at the stoplight, and I'm like checking my messages, and the school sent out an alert. Just so you know, there's a six to seven foot alligator down there by the pond. So the, the, we park there. The school <laughs> is 15 minutes away from our house. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I'll paint this picture. There's this pond and around this pond, there's basically where uh, the parents have to park to pick up their kids. There's no like drive through thing. You have to get out, park, get out, walk up, you know. So there's this big pond and a lot of the kids and little kids like Zoe's age, one of the things they'll do is they'll go down and they'll fish after yeah. school, sometimes with their parents. And so this, and so all these cars surrounded by all these kids is where they, it looks like maybe once a year where they mm-hmm. seem to find an alligator in that yeah. damn pond. I know. So for like, I don't know, two or three weeks, I wasn't parking down there. But the, the funny thing is this was, this was only like mm, four months after we moved here or so, because it was before And you thought COVID. it was a joke. <laughs> and, you know, it was one of those weeks where it's like, really, there's roosters outside of Walgreens and you're like, you're kind of acclimating, you know, and then we had had the earthquakes and. So I checked this message. I'm like, no way. This is this is a prank. And I'm like looking at the calendar. Is it April Fool's? And it was close to that. So I sent it to our friend Cindy. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's real. Happens two or three times but, a year. She goes, you better have a fast kid or park somewhere else. But it was, it was funny, too, the way the school announced it. It was like it was a, very happenstance. It was like three announcements. It was like, tomorrow the lunch is, you know, spaghetti. And, you know, soccer practice starts at three. Announcement two, there's a 20-foot-long alligator that's basically waiting <laughs> to kill you and your family. Point number three, will be no yeah. sun, uh, school on Friday for it's Very parenting. normal. Just, just run in there. It was, that was the funny part. I they they slipped that. It, they slipped it in a text. They totally did. <laughs> Full disclosure, right? We told you. Yeah. Hey, right. listen, we forgot. Uh, if you guys want to talk to us about joining EXP, we would love the opportunity to be your sponsor. Just text us directly at 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. EXP is perfect for a brand new agent, really great for an agent, especially we're speaking to, I think, the Midland agents or the, mm-hmm. you know, those of you who are relating to our story, those of you who have production, those of you who are selling homes, but you're not moving the financial ball down the field like you would hope to. And maybe you're starting to think about that feeling of being financially free. Guys, you got to take a hard look at this. You're doing yourself a huge disservice for not doing it. Start by texting us at 512-758-0206. And let's start that conversation. And again, remember, this was our Sunday podcast. (laughs) 
this was us, this is us talking about whatever comes to mind. Our normal daily scheduled podcast that's made this podcast the number one listened to daily podcast for real estate agents in the world. I laugh as I say that because this is the first podcast you've listened to. You think Julie and I are probably nuts. <laughs> yeah, we which, tried to warn you. Which we might be. Yeah. This is what happens from talking to realtors this long. You yes, lose this is what happens to you. Exactly. <laughs> or when you think you're 35 for the 15th time. But whatever. Well, it's okay. <laughs> That's right. It. It's a state of mind. It is. Yeah. But if you guys want to talk to us about joining our EXP group, we'd love to talk with you. Uh, 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. In the meantime, um, we are going – we are uh, – Clubhouse event, and mm-hmm. we talk about Clubhouse a lot, probably too much in the past week because we really do think it's pretty amazing, the communication and conversations that are happening on Clubhouse. But if you'd like to uh, join our Clubhouse event every morning, it's, of course, free. It's on the Clubhouse app, available to most iPhone users, uh, and most in that you have to get an invitation. Um, but it's called Real Estate Coaching. You can find us there every morning at 8 a.m. Um, East Coast time, along with a lot of other coaches and top producing agents, by the way. It's not just Julie and I. It's uh, We're doing essentially like a mastermind amongst other people. And uh, uh, join us for that. And obviously, the podcast every single day. Thank you for again for keeping this number one daily listen to podcast for agents in at least the United States. And thank you for your support of Harris Rules, our book. We're beyond thrilled that so many of you guys are totally getting the message in that book and understanding the rules and the messages. You you know, sometimes you guys, you know, you think that we take for granted your appreciation, especially when you email us in Texas. You think that we don't read them or you think we don't, I don't know, it doesn't mean something to us. It really does. And when, when you guys give us – just I just want you to know we're never too big. For, it, it helps you too. If, if we said something or done something that's made your life better, the best way for you to pay that back, yes, thanking us directly is great, is you should go to you know Google My Business or you should go to iTunes and you should – or you should go to Amazon and write your own book review, 400, you know, like 455-star reviews of our book now. You should say what you learned from it and how it benefited you because then not only are you thanking Julie and I, but then you're also helping somebody else, right? So you may say, I just listened to Tim and Julie ramble on for, you know, however long Mm -hmm. talking about, I think it was, you know, being financially free. I'm not really sure, but this is what I learned from it. This is what I felt as a result of it. You guys, you know, this is maybe your iTunes review. Five stars, this is why you should listen to it, whatever. You don't know who's going to be reading that and how what your words might mean to them at the time in which they're – you know, I told a story on Clubhouse the other day of an experience I had with my father. And I got an incredibly emotional email from somebody the next day. Did I tell you about mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was a direct um, – you know, I didn't even think of the ramifications of the story. I was just completely being transparent with this experience I had. And that helped somebody. And I'm thrilled that that helped somebody. And so that's the thing. When you guys start thinking of yourselves as you could actually be more influential and more impactful in somebody else's life by just doing like the little things I just suggested. So yes, thank you for all the birthday wishes and all the gratitude and all those direct messages. But if you really want to big, make a, uh, you know, if you really want to give us praise and at the same time help other people, please do it on iTunes, on Google My Business, on you know, all the places where you can then have an influence on other people. Does that make sense, Julie? Absolutely. So don't keep it to yourself. Share with your colleagues, help each other. You know, you guys are all going through various real estate struggles with a hot seller's market and knock down, drag out on your offers. You know, put a positive light, help each other, you know, bring up the industry one transaction at a time, one post at a time, be supportive. Like Tim said, 
You never know who you're going to help. I've heard a lot of you using the word movement associated with what Julie and I are talking about. And the funny thing is, is movements are usually something like a political movement or a social movement. It's something that hap- you know, just gets started and, and basically starts to, maybe it has a 12-month or a 24-month life. I mean, we've been doing this for 20-plus years. Mm-hmm. So if you want to call a 20-plus year effort of saying you know, mostly the same things. <laughs> maybe it's an era at this point. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. <laughs> but we appreciate it, guys. And I think really what we're doing, what, based on what I'm hearing you guys say, is we're helping all of you guys reconnect with, reconnect yourselves with why you originally got into real estate and you're rejecting now all the things that basically maybe came into your life that manipulated you away from what your original goal. And all of you, if you really drilled down on it, it's helping people, it's building a business, it's being proud of yourself, it's you know selling houses because you love it and all that. But really, if you cut through all of it, what you're truly searching for is freedom. Financial freedom, primarily. That's the thing that's easiest to achieve, by the way. Financial freedom is the easiest thing to achieve. Financial freedom is easier to achieve than even being in great physical health by a lot. Okay, You don't think it is, but it is. And, and so stay attached to what the original, stay attached to the emotions that you feel from the idea of being financially free. And that emotion will then uh, manifest itself into the strongest sense of desire that you could ever have. It really does. And and that's where I strongly hope all of you would start tuning your dial and start tuning away from the ego branding stuff and tuning away from the buying leads and tuning away from the building of teams and tuning away from all these things that are keeping you in a, in a position where you're one of the bottom turtles always getting smashed. Yeah. So make your commitment to not be that bottom turtle. Write down two or three things. Don't just... You know, stop listening and say, well, that was entertaining. Do something about it. Two or three things that you're going to take action on immediately. You assume they were listening, thinking it was entertaining. (laughs) Hopefully it was at least that. (laughs) (laughs) And again, if you guys want to get hold of us, it's 512-758-0206. Have a fantastic day. Back to regular scheduled programming tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.